You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. We ask that uh, you would just speak through your word. As we have spoken to you and sung to you, now that we, you would speak through your word to us uh, by your son, by his spirit, uh, that the church would be built. And Lord, we need the church to be built because the world is just so broken and we look around, we see the, the mess and the hatred and the racism and the, just the brokenness of this country, let alone the world. And we just need you to make us more like Jesus. We need to be the light that you have called us to be. And we cannot be apart from you. We cannot do anything you tell us apart from you. And so now just feed your sheep, Lord. Through a broken man, through a often wretched vessel, but yet one you have appointed to call to preach and teach so please do it for your glory, not for mine. I pray you would build our church. And Lord, I pray for every church this morning that gathers in the world that is worshiping Jesus, that you would build your church in this town and beyond, that you would build your church, Lord, uh, that the saints would love you, that we would love you, uh, and we'd be more like you. It's in your precious and holy name and for your reputation we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Couple quick things. If if you are a man and you are interested, uh, the the Pivot Conference is going on in two weeks. That's a men's conference out at Compassion. They're hosting it this year. They've asked me to speak again. I tried to get out of it by being really mean last year, but they invited me back. So uh, it's me and a couple of the local guys, and then Daryl Strawberry, which I'm not a fan of the Mets or the Yankees. So I will grit it and bear it, and I'll share the stage with Daryl. Um, he did win a couple rings, so he's a little bit, but he became a believer uh, after just some hard struggles. And so if you're a man and you're interested in going with a bunch of other guys, there's some cards on the table in the back. Uh, if you go online and register and you type in the code CBC, you'll get the group rate, um, which is like 15 bucks off or something like that. So a bunch of our guys are going. You can kind of get some guys together and we'll meet out there and hang out, eat Chick-fil-A and, uh, and, and just kind of heckle Daryl Strawberry as he goes on stage together. Okay, together we'll do that. So um, turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. We are in this season of life, our family, that's an exciting season and it's a scary season. It's where t- children are driving, all right? And it's really not for the weak-minded or hearted. In fact, I don't even know if it's good for some of your sanctification to sit next to your kid. Uh, probably only one spouse can handle that. Um, but we are to the point now where one of ours is about to take the test, right? And the beauty of taking the driving test is you can go online and you can find out what's on the test, right? And so you got, you know, this simple stuff that you've been working on for a while. You got the yield and you got turn signal, the little three-point turn. That's, that's a joke. That's easy. We got that. Stop signs. Everyone's got that. But there is that one piece of the, there's that one part, and all of us remember it, all right, of the driving test that is, it is the, you know, the, the pinnacle, the, the feared, dreaded parallel park. And some of y'all are, are awful at it. All right, you need to, if you grew up in a city like mine, man, we could sleep. We're in, like a spot like this. Some of you couldn't parallel park in a Walmart parking lot. But, there's a, but you know it's coming though, right? So you can go out and practice. And so my son's been practicing in the parking lot. And he's getting good at it. But the beauty is you know it is coming. They tell you ahead of time. It doesn't really matter if you blow the stop sign. We're just looking at Peril Park. Right? That's all that matters. Right? So that is like the epitome of the test. And you know ahead of time. Why? So you can get ready. So you can orient yourself towards the parallel park. 
In our text today, Jesus is, is in essence telling us what's on the test, right? He's telling us what's ahead so that you can orient yourself towards that all-important moment when you will meet him one day, that parallel park. He wants you to be ready. He's, he's telling you how to be ready. And so we're going to look at what that is today in chapter 11, the second half of it, of, of, of the book of Luke. Um, and so, so if you're there, great. If you're not, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen. And, and some of you are reading ahead. In the back, we have the little bookmarks now. It tells you what we're going to do every week, pretty much a chapter a week. And we're going to hit the high points of every chapter. There might be a section we miss. So that's on you. And I told you last week, it's your job to go read ahead, study, get ready for it. If you did that this week, some of you are probably like, what is Fowler going to do with this text? And, and, and I'm asking the same question. I'm like, Let's, we'll have to find that out. Because it seems like it's four different weird paragraphs just like thrown together like a high school essay, right? Right? Just throw it in. It's, I got the number of words right. You know, good. Get a C. But, but really, when you read it over and over, you actually see it is related. It does fit. And so we're going to look at today. Um, where we've been, if you're new, you're visiting, we've been studying through the book of Luke. We took a little break for the summer. We're back in. Last week, we started and we saw the, the apostles basically ask Jesus, Jesus, just teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And, and prayer is just one of those, those great privileges. And we talked about we pray to a, a, a father who is great, who forgives sins, who provides, who hears us, who leads us, who helps us. And, and it's one of our core values as a church. We have five core values. We call them our specs. It's the P. You see these little symbols on things? That's what it's symbolizing. It's the P in specs. We got engaged with the, for the sake of the gospel, community, stewardship, and scripture. And these are kind of the core values we're trying to build at what we believe a follower uh, of Jesus based on his word looks like. Today we're going to hit another one. Jesus is going to hit another one, the all-important one, the parallel park, as we jump into the text. So let's just look in. Let's, I'm going to unpack real quick each of the four paragraphs. Just kind of work through them, and then I'll come back, and we'll kind of highlight some things and, and get to the main point. All right, so verse 14, we're picking up, all right? Now, he was casting his Jesus out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. So Jesus does a legitimate, bona fide miracle. Everyone sees it. There was this demon-possessed man. The, the demon was causing the man to be mute. Jesus casts out the demon. He speaks. And just to validate the fact that this is a real, legit miracle, the people are like, yeah, they marvel. They're like, yep, that happened. They like, legitimately see it. They don't deny it. But what they do is they kind of falsely attribute it to other things. But some of them said, oh, yeah, he just cast out demons by Beelzebub. That is like Satan. The only reason he can do that is because he's empowered by the devil, the prince of demons. And while others, they're, they're saying to test him, give us another sign. Yeah, that was good. I mean, it's pretty impressive. You know, mute guy, talk. We've already seen sick guy, you know, walking. And we've seen all these things. But we want more, Jesus. I don't know if it's enough. I mean, if they treat him as if he's like a contestant on Israel's Got Talent. Well, you know, Howie likes it, but I don't really, I'm not sold. So can we have another? Something more powerful. Maybe fire from heaven. Maybe disappear. Like Frodo. Boop, you're gone. Nope, oh, and show up over there. Can you do more? Two different responses. And so Jesus is going to answer each one in our text. The first one he's going to answer is those who say, he's just casting out demons by demons. And in essence, what he's going to say is, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's my translation. But that's what he says. He, he knows their thoughts and he says to them, every kingdom 
Divided against itself is laid waste. A divided household falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. He's saying Satan is not going to fight against himself. That's dumb. How is he going to win if he's battling himself? You say I'm, I'm casting out demons by demons. That, that's just that's dumb. It just, it's illogical, right? And if, by the way, that's what I'm doing, he says to them, who do your sons cast him out? Because the Pharisees, they have their demon caster out guys too. He says, so if I'm doing it by the power of Satan, well, who are your boys doing it? You see, his point is, it's dumb. That is the dumbest logic I've ever heard, right? So therefore, they're going to be your judges. But, and here's a, here's a critical point. If it is by the finger of God, and this is what Greek theologians call a, or grammarians call a first class condition. And that, you don't need to remember that, but the point is this. It's assumed to be true. So it's, if it's by the finger of God, and it is. That's the assumption. That's how the grammar reads. If it's by the finger of God, and it is that I cast out demons, then guess what? The kingdom of God is here, now, in front of you. So don't be going and saying, oh, you know, Satan this and me that. That's the, that's the point, right? That is the point. And then he goes on and, and, and what seems like a, a, some kind of parable. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, in which he is trusted and divides his spoil. And what, he gives this idea of a strong man who's at home, right? And he's guarding his stuff. Right, so the picture is this. Let's t- let's, the Braves are at home. They're strong at home, right? It's their home field. But then someone stronger comes to town, the Phillies, right? And when the stronger team comes to town, they sweep them for the third time this year, right? So the, and, and then they divide their spoil and they mock them. Oh, right? And, and what Jesus' point is this, Satan is the strong man. He's guarding his stuff. But I am the stronger man. And I come in and I sweep the deal out. And I divide the spoil. Right? So it's not Satan fighting against Satan. It's the stronger fighting against the weaker. That's his point. Right? And then he makes the conclusion at this point. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. He says this. There's two teams. Strong or stronger? Satan or Jesus, which team are you on? He said, well, I'm not really, I haven't chosen a team yet. Then you got your team chosen for you. You're on team Satan. That's what he's saying. He's just saying. There's only two teams. You're either with me or you're not with me. You're either gathering or you're scattering. So we're going to come back to that when we come back at the end. Okay, that, but that's the first paragraph. All right, and then we go into the second story. Love this. Oh, no, no, he, I'm sorry. He continues in 24. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none it says I'll go I'll return home to my home and when it comes it finds the house swept and put in order and it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil and they enter and dwell and the last state of that person is worse than the first and the point is this so once someone gets cleaned out i.e. the guy getting the demon cast out if he does nothing the strong man's been kicked out by the stronger but when when the strong man comes back and the stronger's not there he's gonna move back in and make it worse Right? Because the stronger is not there. And again, we'll come back to that and talk about that in just a little bit. All right? That's the first paragraph. We go into the second paragraph. He's teaching. Some people are hating on him. And there's a sweet lady. And she's Pentecostal. 
because she's talking in the middle of the service, which is great. All right, she's the one in the back with the hands up. Yes, Jesus. And she just can't hold herself back anymore. And so she raises her voice and says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that you nursed at. She throws up a Hail Mary is what she does, right? Your mama is so proud of you. I wish I was your mama, my crackhead kid over there. I wish you were my kid. Right? She's just, your mom is so blessed to have a kid like you. Blessed is your mom, right? And she's, she's just super sweet lady. And Jesus loves his mama. So don't think that this, he's, when he kind of corrects her a little bit and kind of re-steers her, you can just, you know that he did so with gentleness, with a smile, because Jesus loves his mama. But he says, my mama's great. Sweetest lady you ever met. But he says this, right? No, blessed actually is, is not my family. It's not my mama. She's sweet, but she's not the one who's blessed. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and actually keep it. That's where blessing comes from. Those who hear it, those who do it, right? And we're going to come back to that too. Paragraph three, right? So again, this is all on the heels of a a miracle and they falsely attribute the miracle. He's already responded to those who said, "Ah, you do it by demons. Now he's going to respond to those who say, give us more. All right, we, we need another sign. We want, the, we want the circus. Give us ringling brothers. And the crowds are increasing and they begin to say, and he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. They want a sign, not because they're sick. And there's legitimate people coming and they're sick. They got leprosy, they're healing. But these people don't want this. They don't, they're not coming because they want, they're sick. They just want the show. They want ringling brothers. They want to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Right? That's what they want. And so he says they're evil because of it. And so so all they're going to get is a sign of Jonah. They're like, what in the world is a sign of Jonah? Great question. He's going to tell us. Remember, these are people who are super familiar with the Old Testament. Right? Some of you grew up in Sunday school and you kind of know the story of Jonah. Some of you may not. But they were super familiar with the, with the prophet Jonah. So just kind of let me give you a kind of big picture of what it is for those who are unfamiliar with the Bible. Book of Jonah, just a four little chapter book. It's about a prophet named Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach for them to repent. Now, Nineveh is the sworn enemy of Israel. Right? They were a wicked group of people. I mean, they were just, I mean, they were wicked. I mean, they killed people. They, they killed, they had infant sacrifice. They'd skin them. They'd behead them. All sorts of wickedness. And they wanted to do that to Israel, right? And so uh, they're just, it's like the equivalent, modern equivalent would be like Al-Qaeda. You know, someone saying, go preach to Al-Qaeda. Repent. And so Jonah's like, I am not going to them. I want God to judge them. So he goes the other way, gets on a boat, hides in the bottom. You can't hide from God. So he sends a storm and the ship's all, oh, and everyone's all scared. And they're like, this is from God. And so they cast lots to see whose fault it is. The lot falls to Jonah. He's like, it's me. I'm running for God. They say, man, what are you, you doing? He said, the only, the only way to save your life is to throw me overboard. So they throw him overboard. As soon as they do, the wind stops. And then God sends a big old fish and swallows Jonah whole. And the fish is not God's judgment. The fish is actually God's salvation. The water is the judgment. But the fish is what saves him. He's in there three days and three nights. The fish all kind of pukes him up on the beach. And he says, okay, fine, I'll go. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the most simple sermon ever preached. It's seven words. He walks around the city. He re-preaches the same sermon. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Seven words. And the people respond 
and they repent, and it's the greatest revival of the Old Testament. And it just makes Jonah mad because he wanted God to nuke him. And there's a little tree that comes up, and you can read about that in chapter 4. But the point of the story is God sends it to these people who didn't see the storm. They didn't see the fish. They have no Old Testament. They have no promises. They have no relationship prior to this with Jonah. He gives them a seven-word sermon. And the whole city repents. That's the sign of Jonah, right? He said that, that's the sign they're going to get. And then he uses another illustration for them, Right? Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. The queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. You can read all about her in 1 Kings 10. She lives in somewhere in the south, a long way away from Israel. And she keeps hearing stories about this king named Solomon, who is the smartest, wealthiest, wisest man. And she, she responds and she crosses the desert with her entourage and shows up in Jerusalem. And she starts asking him questions. And at the end, she says, I heard all this stuff about you. And I didn't believe it. I thought, there, there's no way anybody is that smart and that wise and that wealthy. And she says, and now I realize, this I've seen you, they completely undersold you. You're, you're double what I thought you would be or what I heard. You were amazing. And so she, pray, she said, clearly God is with you. Clearly God is with you. And your God is the real God. Right? And so the point is this, again. Two sketchy groups for the Israelites. A Gentile woman and a, a bunch of pagan Assyrians, they get this much revelation. I mean, just seven-word sentence. And I heard about a guy. And they respond unbelievably well. And so Jesus says, the queen of the south is going to rise up at the judgment Right? For she came from the ends of the earth. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and condemn it. Why? Because they repented, they just have a seven-word sentence. At the judgment, the Ninevites, when Jesus says, what should I do with them? And they're going to be, they got to go. Because all we had was seven little words. What do they get? They get Jesus. They get the, the Son of God, right? Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here is what Jesus says. And by the way, who says that? Who can say something greater than, than Solomon? The wisdom of Solomon, the wealth of Solomon, the United Kingdom and the power of Solomon. He says, oh, something greater than those two things are here. Me. And y'all have seen legitimate miracles and you've seen me loving everybody and caring for everybody and healing everybody. You have all this revelation and all you want is more. They have a seven word sermon. And I heard about a guy and they come all this way, right? What's his point? Right? What are you going to do with the truth you have? And then he goes to the last paragraph, right? The last paragraph is this. It seems unrelated, y'all, but it's not, I promise you. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see. And we understand this, right? Okay, we don't put the lights under the stage. We put the base under the stage so it shakes, the lights go up. Why? Because we it's to shine light. We do it in the house. You got a cute little, oh, you got a little lamp. You put it on a little table. It goes, so it lights. He said, yeah, that's natural. We, we understand that. He says, your eye is the lamp of the body. Now, it seems like he's mixing his metaphors, but he's actually not. He says, there's the light up there. Your eye, when it's healthy, your, bo your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your, your, your body is full of darkness. What he's saying is your eye is the receiver of light. It's the responder of light. And how you respond will impact the entire body. 
So there's the light. How I respond to the light, how I receive it impacts my entire body. If it's good, my eyes are good, it's good. If it's bad, then my whole body is bad. Once again, you see this idea of the scripture, how something so small affects something so big, right? But then he gives this warning. He says, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. You may think you're in the light. Make sure you're in the light because you may think you're light, but you're really darkness. You may, you, you may be upside down on what you're thinking. Like the Pharisees who think they're right, who think they're on the rise and really are on the fall. Right? There was this movie that came out in the early 2000s called Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe. It's kind of a true story. And he was a professor, and it's in the Cold War, and he kind of walked through from his perspective, and he's, in, he's in college and right out, and he gets approached by this, this man from like the Pentagon, Ed Harris, great actor, right? And, and Ed Harris is like, I want you to break codes because you're this genius guy. I want you to break codes for the Soviets because they're trying to infiltrate. And so he's like, they're putting codes in the newspapers. So the f- whole first half of the movie, you see this kind of cat and mouse spy game where he's breaking codes. And every time he breaks a code, he's supposed to put it in this mailbox, right? So they can secretly get it out. And then he's, so he's helping the government and he's got his buddy, his roommate and her, her little niece. And you're, and you're walking through and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Don't get caught. And then he gets arrested and he gets thrown in the, the mental institution. And you're thinking it's the Soviets. And he's like, it's the Soviets. And, and, and there's this powerful scene when his wife goes to the mailbox that he's been putting all his secret letters in. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's like 15 years old. I'm going to spoil it. It's your fault. It's been out forever. All right. Here's the spoiler. She goes to the mailbox and it's just like stacked full of every single one of those little letters he puts in. And you realize you've been duped for like two hours. He's crazy. Everything you see is not real. He's a schizophrenic. And so it's all in his imagination, right? What he thought was light was dark. And you see the reality. And what Jesus is saying is, Make sure your reality is a true reality. How you receive, how you receive me, that, that's the real reality. And you may think you're in light, but you might be in darkness the entire time. And what I want to do, he says, I want your whole body to be full of light so that it's wholly bright. As when a lamp gives light. Not only do I, I want that to be the light, I want you to be the light. It all depends on that little eye. How you receive so you got four paragraphs. You're like, what? How, how do these, what is the point? Right? Everyone say, what is the point? I don't know. Let's go home. Here's the point. Here's the big picture point. Jesus is the light. And he has clearly been seen. You can walk outside on a beautiful Savannah day and know there is a creator. And you may not know his name if you have no revelation, but you know there is a God. You respond to the fact that you know there is a God, God will bring you more revelation about himself. But not only do we have a beautiful, I mean, you drive over the bridges, you see this beautiful creation that God has made, you know there's some, some wise creator, but he has spoken specifically and accurately in his word. He has told you who he is, what he has done, everything he wants you to know. Boom. In English Standard Version, New Living Translation, if you're Shakespeare, the King James Version, if you're not spiritual, the NIV. We're still doing it, Peter. We've been still mocking it for five years. You got it clear as crystal in front of you. How do you do, what do you do with the light? That is the parallel parking. That's, 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 the, that's the most important thing. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with his word? Right? Who he is. 
What do you say? Do you want more? Well, you know, I don't know if I can buy it. Or deny it. It's a bunch of weaklings who are weak and they can't help themselves. Or do you orient your life around him and his word? And really, three kind of main big picture points, warnings kind of that Jesus says this. You're getting ready for the parallel part. Here's three things real quick. Right? You can write these down. You can think about them. But here's, here's number one. Jesus said, you cannot be neutral. Right? In the words of the great theologian, Mr. Miyagi, walk on road. Walk on left side, safe. Walk on right side, safe. Walk down the middle, get squashed like grape. Said, here, Daniel's son, karate, same. Either karate, yes, karate, no, karate, guess so, squashed like grape. What's his point? Say yes or say no, but don't, you can't walk down the middle. What's Jesus' point? Well, he's already said it. He said, you're either for me or you're not. You're either scattering, you're gathering. There's just no fence sitting. That's, that's his point, right? And that's why when he talks about the unclean spirit getting cast out and then it's empty and it's clean and then the, the demon comes back, why is the de- demon able to come back with seven of his buddies? Because the guy tried to remain neutral. Thanks for cleaning me out, stronger man. But I'm just going to hang out now. And it's a worse situation because he has, not, he has not chosen to follow. He has not changed his affections. He is not now pursuing the this, this stronger. He's not said, please, stronger, stay in my house and protect me. He's, he tried to remain neutral. He beat spiritual Switzerland. Can't be spiritual Switzerland. That's the point. That, that's the whole idea. And I think this is a real, this should be a challenge to some of us because I think we treat Jesus like a spiritual genie who can come in and clean the house up when I need him. But then thanks. Or we treat him like a spiritual buffet. I'll take this part of Jesus. I like the whole savior piece. I like the whole father piece. I like the whole love me piece. But king, God, we'll leave that over here. Savior, yes. God, no. No. And, but y'all, this is... Jesus is not some dish to pull out when we feel like it. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We have sang this morning that he is holy, that he is worthy. You sang it. That we we sang a prayer up front that we would center our lives around his name. That's either true or it's not. It can't be neutral. And and let me encourage you young folks. I know some of you dropped your kids off at college. We're going to pray for them tonight. All right, we're going to pray for all the students tonight. But if you're, if you're a young folk, right, high school, middle school, let me just encourage you with the words of Solomon. He says this to you guys, talking to young folks. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. You got to decide, high schooler. You got to decide, middle schooler, what are you going to do when you face that situation? You got you to decide it up front. You can't wait for that moment when you walk into the party and it's just... You can't wait for that moment. You got to know. And parents, you got to help your kids. Hey, if you ever walk into a place and it's not good, call me. And you better take that call. And you better not be mad at them for calling you because the second time I'm going to call you. But you got, you got to know. You got to know, young ladies, that when that guy that's a crackhead asks you out, 
Even if he's popular, you better know ahead of time what you're going to do. Amen. You better know. Right? You get, when, that, when that person sitting next to you is like, hey, what's number four? You better know now what you're going to do. Right? It's just, it's choosing now. Not, well, I'll do that Jesus thing when I'm late. I want to, no, no. He says there's no neutrality because you walk down the middle, just like great. That goes for all of us. Right? And Jesus is inviting. This is not a harsh, like, yeah, you better get on or get off because I'm going to run you over. This is, hey, look what I've done in your midst. Choose. So Joshua says to these people, choose this day whom you will serve. You can't be neutral. Right? You cannot be neutral. The second thing Jesus is teaching is, is that proximity to Jesus means nothing. Just because you're close to the church doesn't mean anything. Right? I mean, this sweet lady, blessed be your mama. She, she's such a blessed. And Mary was blessed. Don't, get, don't, don't think anything otherwise. She was blessed. The angel said she was blessed. She says herself is blessed because she gets to give birth to the Messiah. But the point is, not, but remember, Mary responded in faith too. Jesus elsewhere, this little portion reminds me of the passage when someone comes up and says, hey, Jesus, your brother and your, your mom and your sisters are here. And he says, Who's, who are my brothers and sisters? Who's my mom? Those who hear and do. That's the exact words he says here. And the point is, proximity means nothing. It's how you respond to Jesus, like the Queen of Sheba. Who's closer, the Pharisees or the Queen of Sheba to Jesus? The Queen of Sheba, she's the sister of Jesus. Who's closer, those wicked Ninevites or those, those, those teachers and lawyers who know the law? It's the wicked Ninevites because they hear and they respond. And there's some pastoral implications here, y'all, for us, for me. Have you ever wondered in a church, we see a, a person show up for the first time and you know where they've been and it's like God grasps them and their life changes and it's like a mirror, it's like they are a new person. Like they were going this way and they have a new affection and they, and they speak in a different way and their demeanor has changed and their whole trajectory of their life is different and they had no background with church. They just, God grabbed them. Maybe it's a high school student. We see this with young, young life and in high schools and our high school ministries all the time where God just grabs a kid and they just, ch- life changes. No background. But then there's the person that's been in church for 47 years and they're mad and grumpy and bitter and cold. I mean, w- what's going on? It just proves that proximity to truth means nothing. Right? That... You, you have to respond to the truth that God has given you, right? That's where the blessing is. What does Jesus say? You, the blessed are those who hear. How many, how many of us want to be blessed? You, I mean, you come to church, you want to be blessed. Like Tom, you, the first blessing goes to Tom today. <laughs> Best hands. I mean, raise your hand if you don't want to be blessed. I tricked you. Some of you weren't listening, right? So good. Yeah, everyone wants to be blessed, right? I want to be blessed. I want God to bless my life. I want him to bless my family. I want him to bless his church. I want him to bless my marriage. I want him to bless my kids. I want him to bless everything in my life except for my dog. I mean, really, everything. And what does Jesus say? Where is the blessing? Blessed are those who hear and who do. Right? That's what he said. The reason there's so many grumpy people in the church is because they they hear, but they don't do. And they just become more arrogant and they just become more proud and they look over and say, well, I've been here longer than him. Don't dare try to sit in their seat on Sunday, right? Don't dare 
don't dare question them. They've been here longer than you. And they're critical and they're mad. Why? Because they just let truth wash over them and never sprung. Because proximity means nothing. I promise you, you will not, it's not Bible knowledge. I promise you, you will never know more Bible than the Pharisees. They memorized the entire Old Testament in Hebrew, probably in Syriac too. They knew the scriptures better than anyone and they were far from God. They could answer, they could go through the doctrinal statement. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, in my place, substitute, physically rose again, coming back. They could, they could do it. That's not what makes a person righteous. Um, you being a moral person, you are not more moral than the Pharisees. These boys were tithing cinnamon. They're spice rack. They're like, I need 10%. Could you measure this out? I need my spices. My they were tithing their spice rack. You are not going to be more moral than them. They did not see anything PG rated or higher. Right? They were the most moral people. And he calls them just a den of vipers. I mean, Judas Iscariot spent three and a half years with Jesus. He was one of the closest ones. He's the money guy. If anyone was close proximity to Jesus, and Jesus says, he, it'd be better if that man was not born. What is this, the point? Proximity means nothing. It is those who hear and turn from their sin and trust. Like the Ninevites, like Sheba. That is where you are blessed. That's where the blessing is, right? And so the last point that Jesus hits big time is just respond to the truth you have. Respond to the truth you have. Doesn't have to be some great grand truth. Oh, I don't understand the philodicue. What does that mean? Who cares? You, nobody cares about that. But what has Jesus said for you today to do? And then you respond. There is a, let me just, as your pastor, please just listen to me. There is a danger for some of you to sit in this church every week and not respond to truth. Because the more you kind of just like, the harder your heart becomes. It, is, it, is, it actually weakens your ability to respond. And if you, don't you wonder, I mean, isn't it shocking to you as you read through the Gospels that as they, they have God standing in front of them performing miracles, the greatest teacher, communicator ever, bar none, the most loving man who has ever walked the face of the earth, the most gentle and humble and kind and gracious, and all they do is get mad and say, give us more, and that's from the devil, why do you? Doesn't that shock you? I'm like, if Jesus came and did like even a quarter of that, I, th I would be like, what? It's because the more truth you just kind of like deny and let fly over, the harder your heart becomes. And so, real simply, if, if, if the Spirit of God is just moving in your life and you hear something, don't harden your heart. Because God is going to give you that. He's going to say, they want to harden, you can be hardened. Choose the place of blessing. Right? Choose the place of blessing. The whole point is how you respond. And it doesn't have to be deep. Some of you, just simple truth. Some of you, you know that you should not be going out and getting drunk. You know it. And you're just like, uh. when I even mention that, some of you are like, mm, uh, move on to the next point. If that's what God is doing in your soul, then you need to, then you need to respond. If that relationship that you got is, you know it's bad. Or you, man, you're, you're flirting with this, the secretary... And you can't wait till Monday morning because you get to see. If that is, you need to turn now and repent from those things. And I'm not saying that because I'm like trying to be harsh. It's because I have 
I've only been doing this 10 years, but I can't tell you how many times we have sat up in that office with someone who has been here every Sunday and they're here teaching and, and, and they just train wreck their marriage or they train wreck their life. And it's just like, how did that happen? It's because they've been sitting here just, and it's like when you talk to them, they're a different person. It's like, is that you, Joe? It's like, I don't even know you. Just because they're hardened. And I don't want to see, I don't want you to destroy yourself. That's why Paul says for pastors like me, one of the main to- our jobs is to beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. To, to not let you be comfy heading to train wreck your life. We'll love you and God will love you and we'll help you try to put the pieces back together. But I would rather you not get off the train track. If God is speaking to you, if he's speaking, and he does speak, he uses his word, he uses the body, he uses other people, don't harden your heart. It's a place of blessing. Jesus says it, hear and do. Can't be neutral. It doesn't matter how close you are to the church, and I was a metho Presbyterian Baptist, whatever. No one cares. Have you turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus? That's all that matters right there. Are you responding to that? We're going to worship, right? And I'm early today. Look at that. I Amen. Hallelujah. I can go for longer if you want. I, I, we want to celebrate the table today. All right. And, and the table for Christians is a place where we remember what Jesus has done for us. Right? We remember the body that is broken. We remember the, the blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. So if you're a Christian this morning, we're going to ask you to celebrate with us. If you're not, we just ask you to, to abstain just for today and just because this is a symbol that, that is for those who've put their faith. But let me just give you a couple questions as we move to worship that I want you guys to think about in your heart and think about this week. And maybe these are great questions for your community groups. Number one, if you are here and you're not a Christian, we're, first of all, we're so glad you're here. But, but I would just say, I would just encourage you with this. Don't, don't remain neutral. And I know some of you got lots of questions and that's awesome because I got lots of questions. And I know some of you... One of the big problems you have, and I have the same problem, is that you look around and you see people who are Christian, and they are nasty, and they are gossips, and they are critical, and they are telling you what you should be doing, but they're doing the same exact thing, and they're, you're like, well, if that's a Christian, then I don't want anything to do with that. And he, let me just encourage you to tell you this. Jesus would not own some of those folks. They may say one thing. We're in the South. Everyone says it. And that's, that's God's job, and I'm going to let him deal with that. It's not my job to say who's in or who's out. But I would say this. Don't let someone else dictate what you do with Jesus. All right, you look at his son who loved you and laid down his life for you. You look at him, not look at a bunch of others, because we're all sometimes hypocrites, and I am the, the chief. But look at the perfect son of God. And be like the Queen of Sheba. You may not get it all. You're like, I don't even get it all. She had, hey, there's this great guy named Solomon. He's smart. I'm going to go a thousand miles on a camel. The Ninevites, seven words. I'm going to turn from my sin and believe in this Israel God that I don't even know and I don't even have a Bible. Just be like that and I promise you, God will give you more truth and it'll become marvelous. Some of you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, just ask yourself the question, am I following Jesus or am I a religious dude who knows all the lingo? Because anybody can learn the lingo, and anyone can say, I'm a Christian, uh, you unpack it. The demons believe and shudder. That's all. So 
what you need to do maybe this morning as we kind of prepare our hearts for the table is ask God, if you've been hardened, and look, we've all been there, we're all hardened at places, but you know that you've been moving in a direction, you haven't moved towards truth, whatever it is, that you would just ask God the Holy Spirit, because it's got to be the Holy Spirit. It cannot be Bill Fowler, it cannot be your wife, it cannot be your parents, that you would just simply say, God, awaken me to the truth, soften my heart. I promise you this, if you pray that in sincerity, that is a prayer that God delights to answer and his people. So maybe that's for you today. Um, maybe there's some truth that you know you've been putting off and you're just not dealing with it. Maybe today's the day you do it, right? And you'll find a loving Savior who says, I've been waiting. It's awesome to have you. Took him five years, but I love you still. All right, maybe today's the day. And then just to encourage you again at the end, Jesus wants to shine in you. He wants to consume you so that you are a beacon of light, so that your kids can come to you, mothers, and, and you can just be a light for them and be a love, uh, loving light for them. That your teenagers can say, Mom, I don't get this. What do I do about this? And you can shine light in them. So that your neighbor who says, man, I am struggling. My wife has depression. I just lost my mom. So you can be a beacon of light. So your roommate can see, uh, even when they're tempted, hey, this, this guy's standing strong. That's what Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to so badly, right? And it's just, it just starts with how do you receive? Are you going to listen and follow? So we're going to, we, that's what we want to be. And this is the S in our specs. P was prayer. The S, we just put ourselves under scripture. Jesus speaks. The Father speaks. We follow. All right? So what's we're going to do? Men are going to come forward. You guys can come on up. Ethan will lead us wherever he is. He's in here somewhere. And you just spend some time in worship and prayer privately, maybe confession. And then when you are ready in your seats, you just partake. When, when, you, when you feel like you just had some time of reflection and some time of prayer and some time of confession, you personally take the, the, the bread, which represents the broken, crushed, pierced body of Jesus, and then you can drink the cup too. And then we'll stand and we'll continue to worship and we will center our lives on Jesus. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll worship through the table. Lord Jesus, I thank you again for speaking truth to us, for loving us so much that you tell us where we're at. Lord, we just, we want to center our lives, our church around you and around your word. We want to, we want to follow you because we know you speak truth and you speak what is best for our souls. And so for the one here today that may be self-deceived, maybe they think they're in light and they're really in darkness, open their eyes. And for the one who just needs that little extra help in the area that that they know you, the truth that you've been speaking to them. Hey, Lord, just give them that strength today. We will help them. Or if someone just has questions even, that they would come ask us. And we would delight to point them toward your son. Uh, we celebrate your, your table now, uh, remembering Jesus, what you have done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.